Morning, church. Who wants to hear the Word of God? We're going to talk about Jesus' miracle this morning. And I'm not talking about the miracle He performed last night in the swamp. When the Kentucky Wildcats beat the Florida Gators for the first time since the year I was born. I, found a, I said I needed to fit, find a way to put that into the sermon today. <laughs> we are going to talk about a miracle, though. And if it's one I think most of you all have heard before. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life. Okay. If you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. What we're going to do while you're turning there, for the next two weeks we're going to be reading about the story of Lazarus. And we're going to break it into two parts. First, Jesus identifies Himself as the resurrection. And then secondly, He actually performs the resurrection. So we're going to be talking about Him saying, I am the resurrection this morning. So without any further ado, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're new here, we don't stand because we think this is a magic book and we don't do it because it's just what we have always done. We do it to show reverence for the author of this book. And so without any further ado, the Holy Spirit says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews... We're just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was talking about resting and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray. 
Father, open our eyes by Your Spirit this morning so that we can receive this truth. Please show us this morning what Jesus meant when He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Father, let us come away from this message this morning with a sense of hope, with an understanding that the Gospel guarantees that those who believe in it will never taste death. And Father, let us give honor and praise to Jesus this morning, knowing that our joy is found in Him and Him alone. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen. Amen. You know, it's interesting that Jesus says almost the exact same thing about Lazarus that He does about the man born blind. Do you remember the man born blind a couple weeks ago? Verse 4, But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So in other words, God is allowing Lazarus to die so that Jesus can be glorified in resurrecting him. God will afflict His people in order to be glorified in His people. I'm going to repeat that. God will afflict His people in order to be glorified in His people. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus Christ designed the death of Lazarus and his after resurrection for the strengthening of the faith of the apostles. This acted in two ways. Not only would the trial itself tend to strengthen their faith, but the remarkable deliverance which Christ gave to them out of it would certainly minister to the growth of their confidence in Him. So once again, Jesus is reminding them that there's a purpose behind the tragedy. And the purpose is the exaltation of the Son of God. Our pain and affliction are designed to remind us that our lives <coughs> are lived for someone else. Can someone give me a coffee or something? Or water? Do you have water somewhere? I mean, the only reason I ask that is because we have like Mr. Heard Coffee on the third row. <coughs> and Mr. Bread and Butter on the right. You know, when someone, when tragedy affects someone's life, when someone is staring at death, when someone's going through a hard time, their theology will come out. And if someone doesn't have a very deep view, well, thank you, honey. That's my wife. <clears throat> if someone doesn't have a very deep view of God, if someone's not plugged into the scriptures, and they go through tragedy, their theology will come out. And it comes out in pithy phrases like, don't raise your hand if you've ever used this phrase, but I know some of you have. I've used it before. Stop using it. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Don't use that phrase. And here's why. Sinners need more than that. Souls need more than that. They need more than short little hallmark phrases that have nothing to do with the Word of God or the living God. When someone is dying, sick, hurt, they don't need everything happened for a reason. They need a reason, and that's God. They need God is sovereign and works all things for the good of those He's called according to His purpose. They need, hey, God's in control and He's working all things for His glory. They need, this is a momentary light affliction and God is working in eternal weight of glory for those who are found in Him. They need, count it all joy, friends, to encounter trials of various kinds because it is producing steadfastness. 
Jesus died on the cross for His sheep and He will never let you go. That's what we need. Jesus doesn't tell these people that everything happens for a reason. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, God is working good from bad and the good is the glory of the Son. I think it's remarkable that before even going to Bethany, before even seeing Lazarus, before doing anything else, he basically says to them three things. This illness has a purpose. It's not a surprise to God. And God is providentially ordaining this so that His Son might be glorified. Friends, that's our comfort today. You know, we were having a meeting with the pastors this morning, and Cody said, yeah, I'm kind of getting away from Acts this morning. We're going to talk about... Um, you know, the value of, of prayer and basically just, you know, talk about Officer Cooper and, you know, how to how to work through that. He's like, are, what are you doing? I said, well, we're just going what we got. He said, what do you mean? I was like, we're just preaching through John. He's like, well, I mean, I was like, no, 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 hold on. You don't, you don't understand. The passage we're talking about has everything to do with Officer Cooper. Officer Cooper, if you don't know, was shot in the line of duty, one of our officers here in Covington. And our community is shaken. <coughs> Many of us are, are asking why we're grieving the loss of a young man. And I would say this community is wounded at best. But already you can see people crying out to God. Already you can see people clinging to the Lord in faith. Already you can see people praying and gathering to pray. And I can't help but think, Jesus Christ is telling the city of Covington the exact same thing that He's telling these messengers in verse 4. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. What if we could emerge from this tragedy mourning the loss of this young man? Praying fervently for His family. Casting our anxiety and our fears and our worries and our hope upon Jesus. Lifting up the family of Matt Cooper. Praying day and night for His family, for His recovery, for their faith. Would that not be to the glory of God? Would that not show the world how infinitely valuable Jesus is? Jesus is shown to be supremely valuable in this world when hurting, wounded people reach out to Him in faith. And I'm going to tell you, this is, a, this is a challenge to Covington and Oxford. Here's my challenge. A community can rally together without reaching out to God. There are plenty of cultures and nations and peoples and communities throughout modern history that have more than likely had no problem coming together, but not under the banner of Jesus Christ. The question is not, will this community rally together? I believe it's already done that for anyone who has a newspaper. And praise God for it. The question is not, will you rally together with your neighbor? The question is, will you and your neighbor bow before the glory of God? And I believe most people are doing that. I think. And I think we should rejoice in that. It's also a heavy time because we're praying fervently for our fallen officer. But friends, what if, what if Matt comes back and somehow God has strengthened his love of Jesus and increased his faith? Huh. 
Would that not be to the glory of God? It doesn't make us rejoice in the tragedy, but it does make us cling to Jesus in faith and say, I don't know how he does it, but that's a God thing. You know, the disciples in this passage, they look like cowards and fools a little bit. First, they don't want to go to Judea because they don't want to get stoned. And what does Jesus say? Hey, we're going. Then they say, hey, they think Jesus is talking about like actual sleep. And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he did. But even in their foolishness, you catch a glimpse of their faith. Verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. You know, it, Thomas, bless his heart, he's got like the two worst nicknames in the Bible. Doubting Thomas and Didymus. <laughs> and it's a shame that Thomas ends up with that horrible nickname because in this verse, he is actually demonstrating remarkable faith. Don't miss this. The guy who doubted the resurrection is prepared to die with Jesus. I just see the people in heaven going, Hey, it's Doubting Thomas. He's like, did you read John 11? <laughs> yes, Thomas doubted. But you know, so did Peter. So did practically all the disciples. But in this moment, he is prepared to be stoned with Jesus. And that is faith. So they get to Bethany. And Martha runs out to Jesus. And it's almost like verse 21 is kind of a dig at Jesus. Did you pick up on that? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So it's kind of like, Jesus, if you hadn't dilly-dallied for two days, he would have been here. It sounds like my wife when I get home and the kids are like screaming. She's like, where were you? <laughs> <coughs> well, I didn't get, yeah, it's not, that's what happened had you been here. You can tell she's testing Jesus a little bit. Jesus, if you had been here, she's clearly distraught. She's clearly grieving the death of her brother. But immediately after blaming Jesus in some sense for Lazarus' death, in verse 22, you have one of the most remarkable statements of faith in the book of John. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's faith, friends. There is so much Martha doesn't understand. She doesn't understand why Lazarus died. She sure as heck doesn't understand why it took Jesus so long to get there. But what she does know is that Jesus is the divine mediator between God and God's people. And her requests to God are heard because they go through Him. And that's faith. That's every time we pray. We do the exact same thing. We don't understand our circumstances. We don't understand what's happening. We don't understand God, what God is doing. But what we do know is that Jesus goes before the Father, interceding on our behalf, and therefore God hears our cries because Jesus hands them to Him. That's faith. Martha may not understand what Jesus is doing. She really doesn't even understand what's going on in her own life. But she understands that Jesus mediates between us and God. Look at the last verse, verse 27. You know she gets it. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. Martha gets it. What's fascinating about this passage is that just after Jesus assures her that Lazarus will rise again, Martha confirms that she does in fact believe in a resurrection. Verse 24. Martha says to him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So we can conclude 
that in Jesus' day, in Second Temple Judaism in the first century, there was an abiding belief among Jews at that time that God would resurrect His people at the end of time. Martha is confessing that to Jesus. I'm going to teach you all a new word today. A lot of you all know it. Some of you all are going to hear it and be like, eh, I don't need it. Eschatology. No, Ben loves it. Ben's like, mm, rapture. Um, <laughs> it literally means the study of last things. Anytime you hear about the end times, that's eschatology. Friends, hear me. Martha has good eschatology. She is expecting a resurrection at the end of days, but what she doesn't understand is that the resurrection is standing right in front of her. Martha has good eschatology and bad theology. She knows what will happen, but she doesn't understand what's happening right in front of her eyes. And I can't help but think there are millions and millions of Christians today with the very same problem. There are Christians today who can tell you about the rapture, they can tell you about the millennium, they can tell you about the end of days, they can tell you about the mark of the beast, they can tell you about the antichrist, but what they don't know how to do is seek after Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind. And friends, good eschatology minus Jesus equals despair. Future resurrection is of no consequence to you today if you don't place your trust in Jesus for the resurrection. The book of Revelation is of no consequence to you today if you don't place your trust in the Jesus of the Gospels. So what does Jesus do? Well, He says, hey, Martha, you know that guy? That's me. I am the resurrection. Verses 25-26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Church, don't miss this. Haines Creek, don't miss this. Jesus' question to Martha is the question He's posing to you this morning. Do you believe it or don't? Because our souls, our future, our eternity is staked upon whether Jesus is the resurrection or He is not. Jesus is the only way to make dead people live again, friends. And we're not talking about resuscitation. He doesn't resuscitate Lazarus. He resurrects him. Jesus was raised from the dead so that he could raise the dead. One of the most common theological questions I get as pastor, and I get a lot of weird ones, but a lot of good ones. The most common is probably, will I see so-and-so in heaven? Or will I know so-and-so in heaven? People just fixated on heaven. Another one I get is about cremation. I get a lot of people are getting cremated more. And people ask me all the time, are they going to get their original bodies? Are they going to like, are all the thousands of people, the pieces like going to suck back together and the person, you know, I don't, I don't know what people think. I think of like Terminator 2 when he kind of... Um, if, here's my response every time. If Jesus can make a dead man walk, then I think he'll be fine with incinerated remains. We're not talking about just power. We're talking about power over death. 
There is no greater power than that. When Jesus returns and tells the corpses to rise from their graves, you just passed about half a dozen cemeteries probably on the way here. Every one of those that possesses a believer in there, they will rise at the thought of Jesus, at the command of Jesus, at the word of Jesus. Corpses will rise. And the first thing they'll see is someone who looks remarkably similar to them. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Just listen. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So, what Martha knows is that the dead are going to be raised. Jesus wants her to know that the dead are going to be raised to look like him. Jesus is the prototype of every single resurrected sinner because Jesus is the resurrection. Can you imagine the celebration in heaven when Jesus brings the train of believers? And He goes before the Father and says, Hey Dad, here they are. I didn't lose one. They were all here. And I have finished the work you did. Verses 25 through 26. I'm going to read it again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, I've been to funerals when everyone in the church knew that the person did not believe that. And because they didn't believe that, they were dead and they weren't going to live again. There's nothing sadder than being in a funeral. hearing songs and eulogies given to a person that more than likely did not believe what we just read. When you talk about despair and sadness, denial. I've been to funerals before. It's just incredibly sad to watch people convince themselves that Jesus must have meant something other than He did because I'm pretty sure they're going to make it to heaven. Jesus told us how to make it to heaven. Friends, God does not relax His justice at any time. He doesn't get soft on the law and overlook your offenses. He doesn't relax His statutes and His precepts. Jesus Christ basically satisfies the demands of justice on the cross or the demands of justice are brought upon you in hell. You know that cup that Jesus tasted. That was the wrath of the Father. Jesus Christ is the fulcrum of human history. He is the hinge upon which human history turns. There is not one person who has ever lived on the earth whose fate is not decided by the Son of God. You will either live with Jesus or you will die apart from Him. And don't even get me started on purgatory. Those who believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection will never die. And those who do not believe that Jesus is the resurrection will never live. But I'll tell you, if you believe what Jesus says we should, 
If you believe what he's asking Martha to believe, if you believe this morning that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, here's the good news. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of Christ. That's good news. <laughs> Last week we talked about how the Son of God was given a particular people by the Father and He won't lose one. And the only people who will live forever are the people who are secure in the palm of His hand. Jesus Christ died and took upon Himself the penalty for our sins so that we might not die. And He was raised from the dead so that we could live. That means, and I just gotta, I'm going to quote this, C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you can put it up there or not. This is maybe my favorite C.S. Lewis quote. And there are many. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, America, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That means that every person you have ever met in your life is going to live forever somewhere. You have never met, you have never come across a person who is still waiting to give their reply to God. There is not a third party that exists on this earth. Any person you have ever met, including yourself, you have either cried, Yes, Lord, you are the resurrection, or you have folded up your arms and said, No. How can we not share Jesus with the lost? How can we not share the life and the resurrection in a world of dead people? This morning I want to remind you, it doesn't matter how well you know the book of Revelation. I hope you've read it. It doesn't even matter how well you take care of other people. It doesn't matter whether you were born, where you were born. If you believe in Jesus, you will never die. If you don't, you will never live. And that's not a sales pitch, that's the truth. This morning I wanted to end with just a thought on Officer Cooper. Have you ever seen a community come together like this? My goodness. I went to the fuzz run last year, and then I went to the fuzz run this year, and the only thing that was the same was the fact that the Clackams have like the best seat in the house. That's about it. <laughs> it's like ten times more people, and they all love this officer. They love it. They're supporting him. It's inspiring. It really is. And this guy's loved. And I just can't help but see God in it. But I also can't help but think of all the people that think this is just about the police. Back in the blue. Support our city. If your support for Officer Cooper stops there, you're not helping him. 
the best way we could help Officer Cooper is for him to come home and instead of saying, look what we did, is to come home and go, hey, look what Jesus did. This isn't about us. This isn't even about Covington. This is about the glory of the Son and teaching as I hope Matt Cooper, I believe that he knows, and, and, and his family, and our community, and the police, and the fire department, and our churches, and our leaders, standing in one voice going, I have no idea why it happened except for one thing. Jesus will be glorified. Can we cling to that? Because if we can, we might not know the reason, but we do have the who. And I'm going to tell you, that officer could come back without an eye, without a leg, without a nerve, without a vein, without a family. But if he has Jesus, he is richer than all. Will we choose to see tragedy the way that the world sees it? Or will we look through it and see that God is at work, working all things for his glory? That's the message that sustains a people. And that's the message we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for working all things for the glory of your Son, because there is no good that is better than that. Just like you raised Lazarus for your glory, Father, I pray you bring Officer Cooper home and Jesus is exalted above all things. Father, increase our prayer. Father, increase our faith. Father, increase our love for Jesus. Father, increase our walk with Him. Father, tighten our bonds with Jesus Christ. Father, in that weird, strange way that only you can, may we look back upon evil and tragedy and go, God was working then. Father, we are not anchored by a police department. We are not anchored by a social fabric of a community. We're not even anchored by our friendships. We are anchored in the anchor. If we have not Jesus, we have nothing. All these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.